let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we are talking about Washingtonians' annual ranking of best restaurants, and we're talking with the magazine's lead critic, our pal Ann Limpert. Plus, CityCast's Priyanka Tilbe and I are going to talk again about your favorite subject, lanes, road lanes. But get this, we're talking bus lanes, not bike lanes, where you could soon get a ticket. And there's an update on the sexual harassment investigation in the mayor's office. Today is Friday, January 26th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey guys. Hey. Hi. So Anne, it's like your uh, it's like Oscar night for Super you. Super Bowl, Oscar, Oscar <laughs> all the things. Washingtonian has done this list for 50 odd years uh-huh. and you have a new winner this year. We do. We do. Um, the top restaurant this year is Kausa, which is a Peruvian tasting room in Shaw. It happens to be right next to last year's winner, which was the Dabney. And it's wonderful. I mean, it's the it's a six-course tasting menu that kind of takes you through Peru. And it's a place that's just firing on every cylinder. Like cocktails are great. The wine pairings are great. The space is beautiful. The service, I mean... I sat down and the server said, we're going to be spending a lot of time together tonight. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and then at the end, I was like, I don't want to leave you. You're great. Um, and I should say, in the interest of full disclosure, that I got a meal out of this 100 Best Restaurants. Anne and I ate at Albi, which is wound up at number three, which is a, a Palestinian restaurant. And it was number one in my book. I thought it was awesome. You said that the uh, barbecued lamb was the best thing you'd ever eaten. Incredible. See? It was great. You know, it's funny because last year, Anne, we had you on to talk about this list and we asked you about what restaurant on the list was like especially interesting to you or really stood out to you. And you said Krausa. Oh, I did. Yeah, you did. And at that point it was number eight and now it's jumped up to one. And I'm curious about what gave it the edge. I mean, it was pretty new. And so it's just a little bit more fully realized, but it was a very competitive year. One one thing I noticed is last year, we talked about this, the suburbs killed, but this year the top 25 are almost all inside the District of Columbia. Is that luck of the draw or is there any reason why? I mean, actually, I feel like this was a really good year for the suburbs, especially the Virginia burbs. I mean, you had Ellie Bird, you had June and Tyson's made our top 25, less so in Maryland. But I mean, I think DC is still just where a lot of the energy is. Will you tell us about your process? Because a lot of people are people I know when you meet people, 
um, not that they know who you are because your identity is secret, but uh, people are always curious, fascinated about your process. And as, as someone who used to sign your expense reports, mm. um, I can tell you it's some serious uh, investment. It's not um, a cheap process. What, what do you do uh, specifically? I know, I know what you do when you, you review a restaurant, but what do you mm. do specifically for making this list of, of best? Uh, so we basically start with the winners of the last couple of years. We revisit all of those, lots of newcomers. I think about this list all year long. And then we try and find like the, you know, the places that are kind of like the hidden gem type spots. We get a lot of suggestions from readers and, you know, our reach is pretty wide. Like we have a restaurant in Annapolis on this list. We have a restaurant in Middleburg on this list. Oh, wow. So it's very much not just DC. It's, you know, we spend a lot of time driving around Maryland and Virginia. <laughs> What's also amazing is, you know, if you go back like even 30 years or certainly 50, it was a, a, all like or very heavily French traditional mm-hmm. restaurants. This year you have Peruvian number one, French number two, the Levant uh, number three, an American place, a Japanese place, Italian barbecue, all within the top 10. That's kind of amazing. Tell us Mm -hmm. about what's exciting in each of these, or some of these categories. I mean, one of the places that I'm most excited about is Beloved Barbecue, which is in the Love Makoto Food Hall. And it is a Japanese style steakhouse where you sort of similar to Korean barbecue, you sit at a big table and you cook your own meat. But they focus on two types of beef, Japanese A5 Wagyu and American prime. And so it's kind of interesting to taste them side by side, but it's just, it's super delicious. Um, and, you know, you don't have to, there, there are plenty of other things on the menu if you don't feel like, you know, searing steak at the table. Wait, and that's like in a food hall. Can you just show up or is it uh, recommended, particularly now that you have shone the light on them, is it recommended that you make a reservation? I mean, it's a very, it's a, like a really nice dining room. I mean, it's in the back of the food hall, but definitely like one of the anchors. Um, I would for sure make a reservation. Something that stands out to me, and I know a lot of people who look at this list is that, I mean, and Mike touched on this, it's pricey. Like a lot of these places are kind of expensive. And so I was excited to see some of the places that are more affordable on the list. Can we like just quickly talk through them so listeners can maybe try to check these out? So the first lower end place that I see on here is Gemini. Mm -hmm. That used to be Happy Euro, right? Yes. They changed the name this past year and they changed the format too. It's now a natural wine shop by day, mostly carry out at night, but not all. You can actually, there's room to kind of stand around and snack. And there's a there's now like a pasta, very short pasta menu. Everything changes there all the time. But, you know, last year it was pretty much only carry out. Okay. So they like expanded just slightly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's at number six. And then 10, you've got 250, which is barbecue. That's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just going through the $1 sign ones. So then <laughs> the next one's at 21, you've got Inferno pizzeria which is in darnstown and then at 25 you've got chicatana in Me- in columbia heights which is mexican and i had never heard of it and i'm very eager to go check it out what is special about chicatana it's a, a, again like a humble storefront with really really interesting food chicatana i believe translates to it's like a type of ant in mexico and they use ants throughout some of their dishes but yeah it's i mean i live pretty nearby and I just discovered it. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited to go try ants there. So those are all of the $1 sign ones in the top 25. But 
I, w- I was just excited to see some at all, mm-hmm. to be honest. In the balance, you know, when people want to go out and have like a lovely night on the town and stuff, for a lot of people, the excellence of the food is one piece of it, but also being in a nice room that feels comfortable or luxurious mm-hmm. or cool or whatever it is that you're looking for. How do you balance those two things out? I mean, I feel like there's plenty of that on this list too. What we're looking for, you know, 98% of it is really amazing food. But, you know, sometimes that's in a in a wine shop and sometimes that's in a strip mall. So I think you can kind of look at this list and you will find what you're looking for if you're looking for like an anniversary dinner. I mean, that's also one of our goals is to, you know, tell people, I mean, restaurants are not cheap these days. We all know that. And to help people decide where to, you know, really splurge. I'm curious, how, of these hundred that you picked, how many of them are new, like not new to the list, but new in the sense that they didn't exist a year ago? Probably about 15, I would guess. That's pretty good. Like to be new restaurants and to make it into the 100 best for DC. Yeah, yeah, That's exciting. That says a lot about like the way that our restaurant industry is evolving and like the new spots that are coming in. I feel like this list was probably, I mean, done the numbers, but like the heaviest on Japanese, uh, which I feel like has always been strong here. But besides Love Makoto, there's Capo, which is like the also very like Wagyu focused tasting menu spot in the Palisades. Uh, there's Nashime, which Nashime has been around for a while, but it's hidden away in Old Town. It's one guy that does like a five course menu every night. The place looks like a T-Mobile store and the food is just like super interesting. It's a really cool spot. I know the 100 best list is all about celebrating the best, but people do always love a, a good diss. Is there any prominent restaurant that tumbled or failed to make the list or surprised you by where you wound up ranking it? Yes. I mean, we thought a lot about this, but the Inn at Little Washington did not make the list this year. It is not one of the very best restaurants. What went wrong? Yeah, it's the only um, three Michelin star restaurant in the area. And it, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad even. It wasn't terrible. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. I, mean, I, I, no I just, I don't want to make it seem like it was this total flop because it's not, it's not. There's like plenty of lovely things about it, but we really especially at that high, high, high level where, you know, dinner is going to run you over a thousand dollars for two. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, we expect magic. We expect, you know, every dish to hit it out of the park. We expect really, you know, sharp service. It doesn't feel rushed, but we expect to be made to feel somewhat special in the dining room. And we didn't really encounter that this year. Their menu format has changed a lot. It's sort of one of those places that changed during the pandemic to a like a smaller menu prices went up so you feel like you're getting a little bit less and spending more i know we got to move on to the next topic but do you ever get people messaging you angrily in situations like this like yes really (laughs) oh yeah yeah no i know i i get very excited about the list coming out and then i have to kind of brace myself for the wave of Oh man, angry. don't send Anne hate mail. She's so lovely. <laughs> I would just say as a as a editor, word to the wise in the restaurant community, if you complain about a bad review, that often tempts food critics into restating their reasons for giving the bad review, mm. which means that instead of having one negative piece of publicity, you have had <laughs> two. So maybe make those messages to Anne private. <laughs> <laughs> Good point.
It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So, in a much less pleasant news, friend of CityCast and occasional guest Alex Coma, the Loose Lips columnist of City Paper, uh, reported this week that the city has at long last hired an outside law firm to investigate the sexual harassment situation that led to the departure like, almost a year ago of John Felchicchio, who had been the key aide in Mayor Bowser's administration, the economic development chief and chief of staff. For those who don't remember, Falcicchio resigned abruptly. It emerged that there was at least two staffers who he had harassed. The uh, mayor had her office, her in-house lawyers investigate. They corroborated some of the allegations, said some the others couldn't be corroborated, and left it at that. Council wanted more. They wanted to have sort of a more comprehensive look into the culture around the mayor's office, sort of broaden the scope of the thing, and they wanted it done outside. Like, right, because I mean, like, how who, can the mayor's office investigate itself? Come on. Yes, right. Uh, not somebody who, who might, like, be having lunch with colleagues. Yeah. In sort of a classic municipal government situation, there was all kinds of complications with letting out the contract and so on. They finally got it out to the law firm Arnold & Porter. It should be back sometime this spring, so it'll have been more than a year since Falchicchio left. What's weird here it seems to me, is Bowser had kind of dragged her feet on having an outside investigation in the first place. But it seems to me that's like the best way to make it go away is to say, listen, these are what we heard from people who have no skin in the game and are not biased. And I don't know, if it was me, I would probably want that to happen as quickly as possible. And the whole delay, it's just weird. Yeah, I agree. It, it really does feel like it's been forever since Falchicchio left. And I think, I mean, the longer that you wait to corroborate any sort of details like this, the fuzzier people's memories are and the harder it is to prove anything, really. I mean, like, you asked me what I did yesterday and I have a hard time recalling. Did you sexually harass someone yesterday? 1000% not, (laughs) to be clear. (laughs) It helps that I work from home. But no, like, if you asked me what I did on a random Tuesday six months ago, I don't know. I, and I definitely don't remember the, the every single interaction I had. So this is really disappointing. I understand that it's bureaucracy, but I just think that 
they should have taken this more seriously in a way, which I think is the whole culture that we're talking about. Like, that's the problem. I mean, one of the things that really shocked me was that the woman in the initial complaint had no one to report it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's wild that there's, you know, nobody in the mayor's office that she felt like she could go to or was appointed to handle. Right. And the the mayor's own sort of appearance of defensiveness about this is, I don't know that anybody would think she is a malicious actor here, but maybe they had a sucky system that she inherited and didn't change. And some light from the outside will help change that. I just a kind of political intensity around it, as if it's a conflict, just seems really weird and misplaced. Yeah. I mean, and also knowing that everyone... The, the fact that Falchikio was harassing people was an open secret in government. So they had a long time to have addressed it. it. It shouldn't have taken this resignation for them to finally be considering changing up their policy or looking into how to make things more transparent or give people an avenue for speaking out if they're feeling un, unsafe at work. But look at, you know, I think historians, when they write their comprehensive history of Washington, D.C. in the 2020s, that resignation is going to loom pretty large because, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who will say, look at the, the city, they got caught blind with the capitals and wizards moving out of town or announcing they wanted to move out of town. There's a bunch of crisis kind of stuff that kind of might not have happened if this guy had been on the job because he was very good at, or said to be very good at that part of the job and kind of a good intel of sort of what was going on in the business and economic scene. And who knows what would have happened if, if he had behaved himself. Yeah. Yeah. If there had been stronger policies in place or Bowser had been stricter with her friend or like if he would have been pushed out earlier and someone else would have been trained better to take his place. Yeah. All right. So from the big and uh, citywide to the very particular bus lanes. I don't know if you guys ever drive in them. I sometimes do. I sometimes feel like I can't help it because you have to go through one to take a right or something. But anyway, the city is apparently going to start, apparently it hasn't been ticketing, which I, I wish I'd known, uh, but apparently it's going to start. What, what's happening? Yeah, well, but. I mean, don't hold your breath though. I mean, because they've been pushing this off forever, but in theory, on Monday, they will start fining drivers $100 for driving, parking, standing, or stopping in the bus lanes. They were originally going to enforce this rule last fall, I believe in September, but they've, like I said, been pushing it back. It's already a finable offense to do any of those things in a quote-unquote bus zone, which is like basically near a bus stop, like 80 feet, if you want to bring out your tape measure <laughs> on either side of a bus stop. So you already can't, again, park, stand or stop in those areas and you'll get a $100 fine. But starting Monday, even driving or parking or standing or stopping in the bus lanes will result in a fine. And they're going to catch you because there are cameras mounted on the buses, which I'm sure people are going to be angry about. I don't know if you can hear, but there's someone banging like pots and pans (laughs) outside my window. And I'm going to pretend that they're mad about the bus lanes. But ultimately, this is probably a good thing because it's supposed to speed up and improve bus service. Like the idea is that buses are supposed to get to use the bus lanes so that they can get people to where they need to go fast. That's what public transportation is meant to do. And because of all of these other drivers parking and stopping in the bus lanes, the buses can't zoom through. And that's why when you're staring at the Metro app, like 
this bus is supposed to be here in three minutes and it was supposed to be here in three minutes, 10 minutes ago, it's probably because the bus is stuck behind a bunch of other cars in the bus lane. And hopefully this will get rid of that problem. So the buses are narcs. Yeah. Yeah, they are. (laughs) What else can those cameras catch you doing? I'm actually not sure. Probably speeding, but I'm not sure if they're going to be fining based on those cameras, though they have other cameras across the city for that. So so I'm told. Yeah, (laughs) I've definitely gotten some tickets that way. So beware. The Clear Lanes program, which is what they're calling this like bus lane traffic situation. It's the first program of the country to use automated bus mounted cameras to enforce bus lane restrictions. So the bus lanes, the buses are narcs like no other buses are. Hmm. Is there anybody who is not happy about this, who's, who, who acknowledges being mad about this? When there was talk of enforcing bike lanes, or uh, uh, which I realize is different because it's adding something new, that that spurred a whole kind of backlash by people who don't like bicyclists and think it's anti-car. I'm wondering if that dynamic showed up here. Oh, sure. Yeah, not to my knowledge. But I do know that a lot of people are skeptical this is going to have the effect it's meant to have because enforcement is really spotty. DC in general has a really hard time enforcing fines. The only tool really at their disposal is to ultimately boot and tow cars that are linked to speeding or other traffic violations like driving in the bus lane. But there are only four crews in the city that are assigned to booting. And so it's really hard for officials to target high-risk drivers. And then there aren't reciprocity agreements with Maryland and Virginia. So if you've got Maryland and Virginia drivers driving in the bus lane in D.C. and then they just go back home, D.C. can't get them. Wait, meaning like if you're from Virginia and you get a DC ticket and you don't pay it, yeah, nothing's going to happen to you. Yeah, because they can't find you. The DC police spokespeople have even said that p- police don't have access to driving records when they make a traffic stop and they don't keep a list of license plates linked to people with bad driving records. So a Virginia driver could come into DC, always and exclusively drive in the bus lane, get a bunch of tickets, <laughs> go back to Virginia. And then even if they are caught speeding or something in the district, that police officer is not going to know they're the same car that was driving in the bus lane for all these months. So like, I hope people follow this rule. I hope that this fine is, I don't know, a deterrent enough. But I guess we're kind of doing a disservice by advertising the fact that this enforcement is so bad. But (laughs) the fact is that they should improve enforcement. Priyanka, awesome to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. And, And thank you for being here. I'm so glad you came. Me too. Thank you for having me. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our senior executive producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our senior producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter editor is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Ash Durbin. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not put our logo on the back of your car and then idle in a bus lane and it'll be picked up on one of those cameras on DC Metro buses. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. It's like someone's banging on a pot and pan right outside my apartment. I think it's the in at Little Washington people. They're trying to disrupt <laughs> <this>. <laughs> <I know. laughs> They found us.